Okay, so here we are. Uh, we've we've uh, uh, changed location and technology. Um, we were sitting in front of beautiful Camp 4 coffee. Uh, we experienced uh, the uh, inevitable uh, hardware glitch. Uh, lack of power. Lack of power. Uh, laptop battery lasted about, what, 10, 15 minutes. So now... But it recharges fast. Yes, it does. It doesn't last long, but it recharges fast. And then what happened? We lost the monitor. So uh, yeah. now we've, we've uh, got an external monitor on the uh, laptop and uh, a fancy Sony noise reduction microphone here. Yeah, this is what I use to, this is what I have been using to do the interviews that will come out on a CD sometime soon, as soon as everybody signs the release forms. Yeah, they, they might come out as podcasts. Nope. Nope. CD? Nope. nope. It's, it's for sale. Okay. Okay. Definitely a CD. So we were talking, I think, about... Um, uh, web logs, uh, rolling your own versus components. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the original web log that you did at uh, www.mindview.net or bruceeckle.com or um, ecoobjects.com. That, okay. was, that was an old one. Okay. So I can't remember it very well. Several domains, and I think it's called Weblog, capital W, uh, lowercase e, b, capital L, o, g, capital L. Oh, you mean you're talking about the URL itself? Yeah. Well, if you just go to the home page, the weblog link is that's right the, up at the, the Yeah, that's the easiest way to find yeah, it. Yeah, and then I've got them listed. And, yeah, I mean, I, I put together a little system. I used, I used a, I mean, it's basically just the ZOPE standard document. Um, let's see, I even forgot the name of the document. And then I added some little doohickeys, like there's um. There's a Python script that lists the most recent ones on the left and that kind of thing. So it's about, it's what I've discovered is about the limit of what I can do with Zilp casually. But um, as I was mentioning to you last night, I, I've, I've sort of decided that the Z-shaped learning curve is, is too much for me because I'm a casual user. And when you're writing Zilp programs, you really have to live and breathe it all the time to remember all about the security and object-oriented database and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm, I'm changing, I believe, to Quixote. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm going to experiment with. Okay. But, I mean, the nice thing about it is you can do stuff like that, and apparently the stuff that's really taken off is, is Plone, the it's sort of pre-configured um, content management framework, and I haven't spent much time with that. And that certainly has possibilities. People are using it for all kinds of stuff because you can get a very you know, serious content management framework for free. And so it opens it up for all kinds of um, organizations that don't have the kind of money that a real, you know, that I, don't, I don't mean real, but I mean a, a commercial content management framework would cost. So, um, so Plone seems to be... Uh, worthy of study, but I'm, I'm going to go off in this other direction, for, at least for now. But in the meantime, as you were learning about RSS, uh, really simple syndication, the XML format, uh, you, you rolled your own RSS mm -hmm. converter. Um, well, yeah, RSS feed thing, um, and, and that I did actually have to write, um, I'm pretty sure I had to write a Python, uh, a, a Zope application to do. And the first thing that I discovered was that, I mean, that's, that's when I had started having conversations with my, um, my co-locating provider where, where he said, you're, 
your bandwidth has suddenly jumped up, and it's because people were hammering on it with their um, feed, you know, the aggregators. Aggregators, oh. yes, the aggregators. People would turn, set their aggregators to, you know, every 30 seconds or something. <laughs> I have no idea what it was. But so suddenly, and I didn't know what it was until, um, until Bill Ososky said, hey, <laughs> what's the deal? Your bandwidth has suddenly shot up. And so finally I realized, oh, that's the case. And um, and what I was doing is delivering the whole document and actually last X documents or whatever it was because I had just read the RSS spec and they said, well, here's what you do. And so I went to the complete opposite and I, I just delivered the title, I think, now. Okay. And and then there was also a few things to, to make sure that it was conformant and you know, that kind of thing. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm looking at um, maybe using Blogger instead and then just having re- removing the RSS feed from my articles, and just having Blogger be my um, my idea blogs, and then when I put up a new article, I just announce it in the in the on the Blogger or whatever forum I end up with. Excellent. And then and then if people want to use the RSS feed, they can use it there, and I don't have to maintain it, and I don't have to um, maintain the bandwidth. So, but by by rolling your own RSS feed. I guess it, it, it'll make it easier to uh, make that transition to enclosures for podcasts because the podcast just uses an additional tag called an enclosure, and that tag basically holds the URL to your 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 podcast. Feed. I may just wait for you to continue doing all the research on that before I decide. I mean, my guess is if I were to do um, audio web blogs. I would. I mean, that's probably what they would be, rather than this podcasting format. I would just, you know, record things, put them up in MP3 off of a server that can stand the bandwidth, and then just provide a link someplace. I, un- unless, you know, I don't know that all that kind of stuff. It's such a distraction, <laughs> you know. And and the thing is, I could go and write my own, just like I put together my own, you know, weblog system. And then something like Blogger or one of these other things comes along and says, "Hey, we'll host it. We've got it all set up for email, and web blogging, and so everything. Well. Does it? Does it way better than I want to spend the time getting?" And so, you know, I think with this thing, I'll go. You know, I think the technology will mature. And in the meantime, if I just give somebody here's an MP3, you know, I, I think I'm I'm probably not going to try and do like, well, who knows what'll happen, but. But you know, I mean, you're you're talking about putting on a show, daily broadcast or weekly broadcast or something like that. I'm thinking, I just want to capture some of my ideas. I mean, a lot of times, you know how it is. You're driving, you're in the shower. I have a theory about this though, because I long ago put a little notebook and a little tiny pen in my wallet because I would find that when I was out hiking or you know doing something, I would get these great ideas and I would have no place to record them. But I almost think that you get the ideas when you don't have a place to record them. That's like it's like this sort of it makes you relax enough that the ideas come through. Right. And so, so when I got this little uh, Sony memory stick recording device, you know, that was my okay. I'll be driving or I'll be traveling or something. Get an idea. You know, I, I still remember there was a movie from. Um, you probably remember. It was one of Michael Keaton's first movies, and uh, he was with the, uh, the guy who played the Fonz, and they were like um, working in a morgue or something. Michael Keaton had this this little recorder, and he was always recording ideas. And, and the one he said was, uh, I, "I have an idea. 
feed mayonnaise to tuna fish. And, you know, it's like, you know, so he'd always have these really stupid ideas that he would record, and you would think that they're, they're uh, fabulous, like the ones you get when you're in your dream state. Some of them are really good. But. So, so many things going on now. We've got the, uh, the Colorado Software Summit coming up next week. We've mm -hmm. got uh, many books in the works, uh, thinking in patterns, thinking in enterprise Java, thinking in Python. We have, uh, of course, thinking in Java, fourth fourth edition. That's the one that's that's truly on the table right now. But in the process of writing that, I spent, well, I mean, Thinking in C++ Volume 2 came out in December or January of last year. Okay. And that was a huge... Labor of love. Huge labor. Let's just say labor. I mean, no, it was, it was interesting, but it's like, I can't, you know, my brain was in this space then when I got all this C++ stuff, and in particular the threading stuff. Yes. And, um, and then I even wrote a chapter on design patterns in C++ that's in that book. I mean, I, Chuck and I are very proud of that book. I think it came out uh, quite well, but it was huge. And the, the threads chapter, we started off going, hey, there's a threads library. Let's, you know, let's put, a, put together a little chapter. Oh, Bruce, you've written about threads before. You know about threads. No, I thought I did. And then it's like eight months later, I've been doing nothing but threading for eight months, and the chapter is finally done. And I think I know a lot more about threads, but, and it feels like I do, but one of the things that I realize is, yeah, there really are only a few people in the planet that actually understand threading that well. Like Doug Lee is one of them. And so um, I understand it better, but one of the things that's happened is, is I've thrown away the illusion that I, re <laughs> that I really understand threads that well, because there's always, there's always something that gets you. But in the, in the meantime, the chapter became like 150 pages long, and I still wasn't done with it. And I finally realized, no, no, this is a book. So, um, so probably, probably there will be a threads book too. But that one, I'm hoping, will be close, is closer to being done because of all the time that I've already spent on it and the ideas. I could be wrong because I'm going to want to delve into things like, um, oh, in in Python, there's this. Um, this, this well, it's almost a cult. It's called um, the Twisted Matrix, and I, I think it, it probably is. I don't know if they called it the Twisted Matrix after the movie The Matrix, or if it just kind of got a cult status like that. But the people who are into this are really into it, and it's um, it's a an event-based system, and it's it's just um, well, I don't f completely understand it yet, but it's a kind of a it's a sort of an inversion of control. So instead of trying to do everything by threads, it's, it's, it has similarities to the active objects thing that I described to you last night. So it has to do with um, serializing events and handling them in a, in, a, in a better way than trying to lock all of your resources, etc. Um, at least that's my, my little hand-waving over it. But the thing is, it seems like it's a very good solution for certain types of problems. And so that would be something that I would like to study in the book and maybe, who knows, reproduce it in Java or something like that. Now, the active objects uh, pattern, that was, that was intriguing. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a nutshell, you could remind me what uh, the active objects... Well, starting, you, you start by looking at um, how you solve... I mean, there's a lot of threading problems that you can actually solve using synchronized queue. So instead of trying to synchronize on the object itself, 
you you put um, objects or or requests or whatever into a queue. So the way an active object works is um, it takes that one further. An active object has a queue and it has a thread that takes um, message requests off of the queue and executes them. So what happens is, um, like any ordinary object, you go, well, there's an object, it's got some methods, I want to make a, I want to call one of those methods, I want to request one of those methods. I mean, it's truly more like sending a message to an object, which is often how we talk about it. So I send a message to an object, normally that just means I make a method call. Well, with an active object, what happens is that the system will just say that there's this magical system that takes care of it for us, the language or, or however it's implemented. Alan Holub is talking about implementing it um, using uh, annot the new Java annotations and uh, preprocessor sort of thing. We'll see if he, he does it, but he's certainly somebody who could. So the idea is I send a message to an object. Instead of it just calling the method directly, what happens is the system turns that into a task and it puts it on the queue for this active object. And the active object's um, basic worker thread, all it does is it takes messages off of the queue and executes them. But because nobody is doing anything at the same time, all it's doing is it's, so the serialization happens through the queue rather than through, by locking the methods. And um, so it simplifies things and in theory, it won't deadlock. You know, I mean, that's, it's, that's a hard thing to prove but that's one of the assertions that have been made about this pattern. And, I mean, you give up a certain amount of flexibility, but, the, but if it really doesn't deadlock and it really simplifies the process of concurrent programming, then, hey, for most problems, that's just going to be fabulous because most people are not able to, to delve in and figure. I mean, threading seems simple at first. That's why I thought I could write the threading chapter in the C++ book or even the Java book uh, fairly quickly. But... It's, it's just it's endless layers of um, pit, pitfalls and complexity. So if something like this, this is something that um, Doug Schmidt came up with, or um, I think he's somebody from the C++ world, so I think he came up with it for there. So um, probably there's going to be at least a simple example of it. That would it be great to see. In, yeah. in thinking in Java. Yeah. Yeah. Or e either thinking in Java or the probably called thinking in threads. So, you know, another intriguing uh, aspect of the books is, uh, did you mention to me, and I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to, to say this, that uh, because, uh, well, that Chuck Allison uh, recorded some classical guitar music on one of the accompanying CDs that, that, uh, that went with, uh, I think, Thinking in Java 3rd uh, edition. edition. Yeah. Yes, he did. Actually, Chuck did. Chuck plays classical guitar, and he was up here. We were doing a seminar, and... Um, we just uh, recorded him because we I've been trying to record for years various different kinds of recording and so so I have decent recording equipment we just recorded him and um, and then we took these little cuts and we said what the heck we'll add them to the CD and that CD probably isn't going to change much or at all between the third and the fourth edition because the CD is a big project to put together and actually I'm not even sure how many people really Appreciate it. I think they may just think that the source code is on it, even though we put stuff on it. And I say in the book, I go, CD's got, I mean, it's got the lessons that Chuck did that introduce you to the C syntax. To, so if you, if you haven't seen or are comfortable with C syntax, you go through those. And then it has the first seven um, lectures from the hands-on Java CD. And then 
course, it's got Chuck's music and a few other things, but mostly that's it. So, um, but there's there's really, I mean, there's no time to redo the CD at this point. Exactly. And it's it's actually pretty good the way it is. It's reasonably stable. It's well, I mean, I, I say I'm embarrassed to say that because even though I, I you I, haven't listened to the CD yourself. Well, I I didn't buy the book. I mean, old habits old habits die hard, and you know the books are are available on the website. And uh, so I downloaded the book and I printed it out. Of course, that oh, weighs about 15 pounds. Yeah. Well, yeah. people, you know, it's that's been an interesting experiment, and people have have done that. Um, and gosh knows, I mean, and it's caused trouble in places like the, um, I think the University of Michigan threatened or actually stopped using the book because instead of buying it, the students were um, using the printers in the computer room right. to, to print out all right. the stuff. And they were complaining they couldn't get them to stop because, well, you know, are you going to pay 40 bucks for the book or are you going to get it for free, even though... Having it bound and printed nicely and everything, there's some value to that. But so. I'll tell you what, it sure helped to be able to download Thinking in C++ when $50, uh, as, it, as it still is, was an issue. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was handy. And it's also handy to have the HTML version on the Well, board. that's, it, I find it's useful to be able to search. Right. Yeah, that is helpful. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's been an interesting experiment, like I say. Because 